Welcome to Box to Box Football. Welcome, 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 Box to Box Football. Good to have you in with us, Kyle, JJ, and Stu, a three-man crew. Uh, recapping match day 16 in the Premier League, where we've got a new leader at the top. Liverpool has moved to the summit of the Premier League after 16 match days. Aston Villa with a charge up the table into title contention. And down at the foot, we're starting to see a little separation between the bottom three and the rest. We'll hit it all for you uh, on box-to-box football. And guys, we once again have to start at Villa Park, uh, where it was Aston Villa 1, Arsenal nil in a clash of top four teams. Uh, the the villains were coming off a 1-0 victory against Manchester City, flying high, and then they back it up with another 1-0 win. This one, a John McGinn seventh-minute goal, and then they hold off the gutters the rest of the way. JJ, it was something we talked about on the last episode. Is our Aston Villa a title contender? Sean came out here right and said, Aston Villa is, is 100% a title contender. Where do you see Unai Emery's side? Well, I mean, if you're what well, we're in match week 16, if you're in the top three, you are absolutely a title contender. Do I personally think they're going to win the title? Remains to be seen. I do think that City, despite the fact that they've had some poor showings over the last couple of weeks or so, they'll still find a way. But I, I said it very early on in the season that I do believe that with the connections that the back, you know, the upstairs have with ties to Spanish football, with what Una Emery is doing, the way that they performed the back half of last season, carrying it over to this year, I believe it's something like 15 consecutive league home victories, which is an unbelievable rate at any standard of football. Um, and they're currently on a great uh, run of form right now. I mean, going back to back with wins over City and Arsenal do put that flag down in the Premier League soil to say that we're very much here. Leon Bailey, for me right now, one of the best wingers in this league, just on form alone with um, goal contributions in the last couple of matches. John McGinn is kind of like your every man's every man player. He'll find ways to make things happen. And then you've got a world champion and Emmy Martinez in goal. So why not right now, Stu? that Villa could be right there with your Liverpool to be the teams that are challenging Arsenal and City for, at minimum, Champions League spots. There's no question. They're right there. And I'm kind of with you, JJ. Like, I, if look, if I had to pick a team to uh, win the league right now, I don't think I would pick Villa. I think there are two or three others I would pick before them. But they are certainly, I think there are four teams that can win it. And I think they're one of them to go along with City, Arsenal, and Liverpool. Um, if it was anyone else, I'd honestly at this point be, be surprised. I'd be pretty stunned. Uh, but they're in that group. They're in the, those four teams that I think all legitimately have a chance. Um, I've, to, I'm, it's hard to, you know, piece out what is the most impressive part of this team. Obviously, the manager is incredible. Gets a little bit of revenge against his his former squad. Uh, you mentioned the goalie. I mean, Martinez is fantastic. Um, I'll just go to McGinn and Douglas Louise. I mean, are there two midfielders that? at this point are playing better and they both bring different things to the table. Um, but it's just, it's just so fun to watch. It's such a good brand of football and it's nice to see a team that, you know, really wasn't, especially, you know, they just were promoted a few years ago and they were kind of battling to not get relegated when Stevie G was managing the team just, Oh, what's that? 14 months ago, 15 months ago. So to see kind of a different blood in there and, and a kind of a new squad and it's just really cool. 
And yes, they've spent money and they're going to probably continue to spend money. They probably have to buy another guy or two uh, in January, maybe for some depth. I, I don't know. I think they, if they have an injury or two, you know, like we've seen with Newcastle and Tottenham, they can, you know, be affected by that. So I think they need to buy a guy or two uh, for depth purposes, but but for a team that really hasn't spent like crazy amount of money, obviously like a Newcastle or a City or anything like that, it's just nice to see a team with a bunch of really good players come in and and do what they've been doing so far. And I think it also yeah. what helps to Stu is that we we're starting to see these sorts of teams like Villa, like Brighton, like West Ham, to maybe to even extent not European standard, but buying those right type of players, Brentford, where they're all investing well. They're not as you say, they, they are spending money, but they're not breaking the bank and going just, you know, throwing out obscene amounts of monies for players that, yeah, we, we all know and care about. I mean, I'll use this example, Declan Rice, obviously a quality player, but we all knew that there was going to be a huge price tag coming with him because of his work with West Ham. What those the clubs I mentioned before are doing, they've got an outstanding network of scouts and they're putting in the time and the energy and going fine. I mean, this is almost like football manager um, where you are you're mining the fields of South America for that diamond in the rough 17 year old. But it's actually true. That's what they're doing. Maybe to not that crazy extent, well, maybe for Brighton it is, but they're finding ways to go around some of what the traditions have been over the last you know, eight years or so. And as you mentioned with Villa not too long ago, they weren't even in the top division. The same thing could be said for West Ham not that long ago. Brighton, obviously, coming up not that long ago. Brentford very recently. And I mean, who knows what trajectory they'll continue to have with their Moneyball style payment or methodology of bringing in players, selling them off, making more money, and then going just doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, the big four will still be the big four. I exclude Man United from that on various trends of the last decade, but the the current big four are very much going to be there, but teams five through eight, it's just lovely to see what they're doing. And they're really making now the standard of the Premier League where 15 years ago, it was always a Man U, Arsenal, Chelsea, that's it. Now it's, we're in the near January transfer window and teams one through nine are only 13 points off of each other. Yeah. And I think that's good for the league too. Um, when you talk about, you know, parity, obviously it, it doesn't have the same way. If you think about American sports and, and we here in the States deal with salary caps with our league, that kind of, that kind of, that puts a, a limit on how much you can spend per team. Um, and while that's not necessarily the case in the Premier league, I think that, um, you know, when you have teams though that are willing to spend, even if it's not at the same amount that a, um, that that a Manchester City uh, is maybe throwing out there or, or or anything like that. But when you have these teams, when you have Tottenham, when you have Newcastle and Brighton and West Ham and and Aston Villa in the mix with that top five, I think it's better for the league. It adds more more intrigue. I think the more teams and the more um, fan bases that can be um, sort of feeling like they're in the mix for those Champions League spots as the league gets into um, you, you know goes through the Christmas period. Uh, and it gets into the, the the warmer months in the spring. I think that's good for the league. Aston Villa, by the way, has won five of its last six. Uh, it's taken 16 points from a possible 18 during that period on 35 points. So it's two points uh, off the pace of Liverpool, who is the new leader at 37. Arsenal remains in second on 36. I'll just quickly say on Arsenal, um, 
couple of missed chances for the Gunners in that game. I thought Martin Odegaard had a couple uh, opportunities there and wasn't able to to put them away. So um, uh, a little disappointing from an Arsenal perspective that you had, um, you know, you had gone out in front. Uh, you had a little bit of separation between yourself and, and Man City, not discrediting the work that um, Liverpool and Aston Villa have done. But I think you, you kind of looked at Arsenal and, and City as being the two favorites coming into the season. Arsenal has created a little bit of separation there and then really unable to capitalize on it as they, they, they go behind early and then they're unable to get that uh, that equalizer against uh, Villa on the road. So, But I do want to jump to the team that now leads the Premier League, and that's Liverpool. Um, after a 2-1 to victory, they go to Selhurst Park uh, and they beat Crystal Palace. Uh, a fascinating game as well uh, because Palace takes the lead on a, a Mateta penalty, and that comes after a, a VAR review, which happened about, what, four or five minutes after the initial uh, incident that the play finally stops and they they advise the referee to go back and look at it changes you know he 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 overrules I don't know if you would say overrules but he decides to award a penalty uh, Crystal Palace goes ahead and then Jordan Ayew gets himself set off with a second yellow card in the 75th minute and then a minute later Mohamed Salah Liverpool goal number 200 it's a deflected effort it's one one and then Harvey Elliott uh, a peach of a goal uh, in the in the first minute of uh, stoppage time. To, to end up getting the points and the Reds go on top of the table. Uh, and Stu, I think a big thing in this game too, the return of Allison from injury. He made two huge saves for Liverpool, including one in stoppage time to preserve the three points. Yeah, he was key. I mean, he made, like you said, two two massive saves. And the one he had earlier in the game was just a, a missile and it was kicked right at him. It wasn't one of those like where he had to go too far to get it, but it was kicked at him like I felt like 200 miles an hour and he he made the deflection and somehow kept it out. Um, so yeah, it's great to have him back. It's certainly whenever you just see the, the how much better he is than almost anyone else in the league. It, it really shows. Uh, yeah, I'm happy that Liverpool's at the top of the table. I am a little concerned though. I mean, they, they do this a lot where they, I, I know I mentioned it after the Sheffield game, uh, the middle of last week, they do this a lot where they, they just have such a tough time breaking down like these teams that play lower blocks and, it's a little concerning. Like they kind of slept walk through this game. I know they've been playing a lot of games. It's a lot of minutes, uh, but at the same time, like so is everyone else in the league. Like Villa's playing a lot too. Like all these other teams that are are near the top are playing a lot too, and it's not really affecting them. So it's a little concerning. Like if they keep doing this, there it's going to come back to bite them. Like they already dropped points to Luton Town. Uh, there's a few others they could have dropped points to. They could have dropped points to Fulham, obviously uh, last weekend. Uh, this one as well. They got a little fortunate. I mean Jordan Ayew, you know, kind of losing, you know. His head, I guess, if you if you will, by you know getting that second yellow, it's probably soft yellow. But at the, at the same time, when you're on a yellow, you kind of have to realize, uh, you know, what you can and cannot do. So they got a little fortunate, of course, and that's part of it. Luck is definitely part of it, but they, they've got to tighten a few things up because they've proven that they can beat the the big teams or at least compete with them. They didn't beat City, but it kind of felt like they beat City uh, getting that one one draw at the at the ad. Uh, they they have no problem beating these teams that are near the top of the table, but. You know, doing it week in, week out consistently uh, when they're playing a lot of these teams that are in relegation battles or just, you know, bottom half teams, to me is concerning. And if they do this, if they play like this, they will certainly draw points multiple times. And it'll be the reason why they don't win the title. It'll be the reason they finish second or third. Uh, so they really have to tighten up um, for sure. Uh, they'll get Robertson back. It looks like New Year. They can use him back. That'll be a, a nice addition back to the squad uh, to kind of uh, shore up the defense. Um, I know they obviously Matthews out for the year. They couldn't really play Kanate to full 90. So they had the young kid Kwanzaa in there, the 20 year old who 
has had some good moments, but at the same time, he's still very raw. Uh, Joe Gomez came on. He looked great. I mean, he came on and played right back and they moved Alexander Arnold to midfield, uh, basically played a six and that kind of turned the game around. Gomez was great. Alexander Arnold was great in the midfield. So all in all, I'm happy. They're top of the table. I'm happy they got the win. You're always happy when you get the three points, but they really have to tighten things up, I, I would say. Yeah, JJ, I want to get your take on Liverpool too. I don't want to call Liverpool under the radar. Like, I don't think you could ever say that about Liverpool. But you know, here we are. They've won four out of the last five, uh, and they're leading the Premier League by one point after 16 match weeks. And, and all the talk was about uh, City and Arsenal. Here's here's Liverpool on top. JJ, have we been? I don't know. Looking past Liverpool because of some of the 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 flaws that it had last year. Only one defeat in in 16 uh, Premier League games this year. Yeah, no, you do raise an interesting point, and Stu, I'll be curious to hear maybe your perspective on this one from a non-Liverpool supporter, but I think it's a lot of the fact that, first off, they're taking care of business. Like, they're yes, while they are grinding out results, I will always happily take an ugly or a you know, down and dirty 2-0 win away at Sheffield. You got the three points, job done, you move forward versus, you know, something, you know, you lose a you lose by a goal against a big opponent because that's just going to kind of kill you. I'd I'd rather take the scrappy three points, but you also look at the teams that they're playing. They they should be doing the job against these teams. You know, the last three would be I'm sorry to say, Kyle, your 4-3 victory over Fulham. To be fair, again, if you're Liverpool at home against Fulham, you should be winning that match. If you're away to Sheffield, should be winning that match. They won 2-0. Go to Palace, arguably one of the toughest places in the Premier League to go get three points, and they got three points. So this is what a mark of a championship side should do. They should take care of their business every week that they step onto the field or soon to be every three days once we get into the festive period. I think the big advantage now for Liverpool is the fact that they are starting to get healthy again at the right time because when we get to these festive uh, fixtures, which if we look at it, coming up next weekend, they're home to Manchester United. This comes after a away match in Europa League, which I would have to assume Klopp is going to be resting almost the entire first team for that match because they're already through. You host West Ham in the League Cup on the Wednesday 20th. You host Arsenal on the 23rd. Boxing Day, short trip to Burnley. Host Newcastle on the New Year. Away to Arsenal in the FA Cup. That is not an easy schedule. And if you can get yourself healthy, which it seems that Liverpool are at the moment, then you're going to be in the right ship. So maybe I guess, Stu, with the question that I'm asking you is, is it fair to say that because the fact that you guys are, your team is taking care of the business that you should be doing, is that like, you, you need to be under the radar for that? Like, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't seem like it's an insult to me. It's just, you guys are doing exactly what you'd need to do at this time. No, it's definitely fair. And it, it, it hasn't been flashy and that's totally fine. Like you said, that. Uh, hundred percent what you said, you, you take the three points and run when, when you, you know, have to go on the road. Um, it's a tough league, right? Like, is it, it's not, these teams aren't pushovers. I know Sheffield is, is a pretty bad team, but uh, I mean, as bad as Palace has been, I know Hodges, Hodgson, um, you know, he's kind of been under fire a bit. You kind of, you know, it, it's still, it's still tough, right? You're playing all these road games and it's going to be a lot of games and you're right. That, that stretch at the end of the year, 
especially with Arsenal in the middle of that and a couple other really strong opponents. It's going to be tough, but they just got to keep grinding away and, and we'll see what happens. I think they're they're certainly right there, JJ. The one thing that I do want to hit on, Kyle, you mentioned earlier about the IU getting sent off. I continue to hammer this home every time I'm on this platform. Players are still not adapting to the laws that and the focus points that were introduced at the beginning of the season. What was IU's first yellow card? Standing in front of the ball to try and stop a quick free kick. Walk away if you create a foul. We saw Bruno Fernandes get sent off, or excuse me, not sent off, but he picked up his fifth yellow card for arguing a foul that was blatantly obvious in front of the official. Walk away from that situation. Players, first off, should know. Everyone... They're on their phones. They're on. They're getting messages from support teams. They know how many yellow cards they're on. If you're in a situation where you're going to put your team in a bad spot, don't do it. Stop doing it. Like I, I know, I we can't. None of us have played in high, you know, even low standard uh, matches of any magnitude, at least for many, many years. But like I know, you lose your head in some moments. You forget about these things, but. If you're having high quality players, high key important figures taking silly and reckless yellow cards to endanger their team, frankly, you shouldn't be in the team. You know, Bruno Fernandez now is going to be missing what could be a well, it is going to be a huge match, regardless, just because of the fact the old school rivalry. But like if you're man you and you lose that one, you know, who who are the people going to be blaming? I mean, yeah, Ten Hogs gotten a lot of it, but they're going to be blaming the person that put his team in a worse spot because he wasn't even there. Yeah, it's a it's a time wasting ones that guys have not adjusted to yet that that drive you crazy probably as coaches and supporters because then the second yellow card, he gets, you know, he gets gives a needless foul he didn't need to do take in transition there. Bang, second yellow, you're off. Less than a minute later, it's one one and all that hard work you put in to get the lead, you've lost it. And that's part of the reason now why Crystal Palace is finding itself in the position that it's in. That's four losses in the last five uh, for Palace in a bad run of form. 16 points. Now, I wouldn't say Palace is in imminent danger of that relegation, but it, it, it's a good segue into what's going on at the bottom of the table um, because ever since ever ever since Everton, say that three times fast, um, got the 10-point deduction, Sean Dyche has rallied his troops uh, and the Blues – uh, the, the Toffees, Everton, go to Chelsea, those Blues, and they get a 2-0 victory uh, to, to move them four points clear of the relegation zone. Luton's on nine, Burnley's on eight, Sheffield United on eight, Nottingham Forest got a draw, got a 1-1 draw with Wolves, 14 points, getting sucked back into maybe into that, that relegation scrap. It, JJ, sort this bottom of the table out for us. Ooh, uh, sort it all out. <laughs> How much time do we have here on the show? Um, no, I mean, first off, I've been speaking to a friend who's a, been a longtime Everton supporter, and they've he he told me that the club and its fan base, first off, had to you know get all of its emotions out about getting the ten point ba- uh, deduction, which I do believe what it's currently on appeal. I think they will get points taken off of that and they'll gain back points. It could be three, could be two, could be four. We don't know. Um, but now they've rallied to have this us against the world mentality, which, oh, by the way, is given them you know some pretty decent results in the last couple of weeks. I mean, I know Chelsea have been very Jekyll and Hyde, but you know, Decore has been 
quality. McNeil has been unreal over the last couple of weeks. Another player that's in great form right now. Jordan Pickford, well, continues to be Jordan Pickford. He's always angry, but he's always doing the job in the back. And what? So Everton, nine points from nine, four wins and a draw and a loss in their last six league matches. I mean, I said uh, after the 3-0 loss to United, if their next four matches, which will end this weekend against Burnley, if they could take seven points of that, that would be great. They're looking at 12. And frankly, probably the way that they're playing, they will get 12 points. So, um, yeah, job done. Dice ball is clearly working. And if it wasn't for the point deduction, we'd be talking about Everton pushing for a European place and maybe perhaps the budget would be opening up if they're allowed to actually have a budget. Um, you mentioned also about the forest side, uh, one, one against wolves. I mean, Steve Cooper had to make changes. His job was frankly on the line if he didn't make changes and he made seven of them and, you know, save us that it was Matt Turner's fault that all those goals were giving in when I spoke about it a month ago, how, Forest's center back marking might be the worst in the league, and that includes Sheffield United. And, you know, they come away with a, a hard-fought 1-1 on the road against a good Wolves team at the moment. That saves his job and maybe a few others for at least a couple more days. They have Tottenham at home on Friday, which good luck with that after the performance that Spurs put in. Um, Stu, I mean, the other couple of big ones – uh, Burnley gets a 1-1 at Brighton. That kind of keeps them going. Kyle, we'll wait on Fulham for a second because I know you're going to have some things to say about <laughs> their, what, their 13 goals in five games, or goals, last goals, three games. Goals, yeah. Goals, goals, goals. And then yeah. Bournemouth giving themselves to a lot of help right now because they went to Old Trafford and, frankly, it should have been like 6 or 7-0. No, they get the 3-0. No. Yeah, our, our Manchester correspondent must be um... – you know, dodging this buried. yeah dodging us tonight yeah <laughs> yeah I, I i could see that he, he probably had enough yeah bournemouth i mean i i thought they were going to kind of be in trouble they looked take out to a really bad start um but ariel's kind of turned them around and they, they've been pretty good recently um they've been in pretty good form and they're like up to 19 19 points like i have a hard time imagining they'll be anywhere near the drop I, even at, really any of these teams if you gave me one that I think would be the maybe the most trouble, I, I guess I'd go Palace, um, just because I don't know. I guess they've had a couple of injuries that have kind of bit them a little, so that could maybe be uh, something. I, I don't know though. I think it's it's pretty clear it's these bottom three. It's definitely not Everton. I mean, I think Everton's going to finish finish closer to to tenth than you know eighteenth. I, I mean, they've they've been incredible with Daisha's done with that team, and I mean, just looking at at, at that Everton squad, I mean. Tarkowski and Branthwaite, I mean, those are two really solid center backs and really two, you know, basically pillars for that for that defense and the way that Deich plays kind of in that, you know, that four that four two two or the four four one one, however you want to put it. Um Calvert Lewin's back healthy. They'll get goals from him. They'll get goals from Harrison now and then. And like you mentioned, JJ McNeil. McNeil's been just a revelation. Obviously, he's familiar with Deich and all and and he's come over and it's just, it's, it's great. I mean, it's basically Burnley that has more talent uh, Burnley. That's, you know, a better caliber of players. Uh, granted, they're not like this amazing team, but they're definitely not a relegation team. If they didn't have these 10 points taken away, like you said, JJ day to be 10th right now. So that, that kind of says it all. They're, they're in good shape. Um, again, I, I think palace is the one uh, that I would be most concerned about, but in the end, 
I think it's the three promoted teams that get relegated in the end. I think the only team, sorry, Kyle, the only team that I would actually put in there, not Palace, but if Forrest don't get something from this weekend, if Cooper goes, I'm going to be very curious to see what that that January transfer window looks like, because you might have a lot of players, depending on the manager, who go out. Uh, um, A lot of players that go out and potentially a lot of players, which rumor has it, Graham Potter might be the one that will be taking that Forrest job over if Steve Cooper goes, because that, there's a lot of parallels between um, those two, like the the career that Potter's had up until the Chelsea project and then what Forrest are like. But yeah, if Forrest drop points, I think they could be the only team that probably threaten the bottom three, Kyle. But yeah, I think it, it, it is the three promoted teams that will go right back down. I hope Graham Potter got some sleep in between his firing at Chelsea and potentially getting another job because he looked like a zombie by the by the end. He looked like he'd aged 15 years during his few months in that Chelsea job. I will just say this. I think I think us against the world suits Everton right now. And and that's something that they they can kind of rally behind. And they've certainly done it since the, the point deduction. And you know obviously we'll go through the appeals process and if they end up actually not losing all 10 of those points Certainly, that puts them in a better position. And, and you know what? The, the other three there, like Luton Town has been frisky the last couple of weeks, right? Three goals against Arsenal, had the lead, uh, scored first against Man City, had the lead at halftime, couldn't hold it. Both those games at home. Um, but they've shown a little bit more friskiness, uh, right? Burnley got a 1-1 with Brighton. Sheffield United finally won a game. They brought Chris Wilder back. Uh, they beat Brentford 1-0. Um, so, so just when it was starting to get, uh, a little adrift for some of those teams. They've, you know, Sheffield picked up three points. Burnley's got four points from the last three games. So they're all within a, a point. The, the, the problem for the three promoted teams, though, is you don't want to lose touch with everybody else um, because then you're going to be in, in, in real trouble. Um, so they obviously need to start uh, picking up some points fast. Um, I did just want to run down the rest of the matches uh, from this week. There were just really two that uh, we, we didn't hit on. Fulham 5, West Ham nil, and Tottenham 4, Newcastle 1. I'll talk about Fulham because after not being able to score a goal for what seemed like the first month and a half of the season, all of a sudden Fulham can't stop scoring goals. I'm onto my toes counting the number of goals they've scored in the last 10 days. Uh, but back-to-back 5-0 wins. It just throttled West Ham. Rahul Jimenez with his third in two games. Uh, just, just a great sign um, for a player who I, I think a lot of us thought was never going to get it back. Um, after that, you know, scary, scary injury he had while playing for, for Wolves. Um, and it's taken some time. And it looks like he has maybe found his confidence. He scored, um, you know, two really great goals against Nottingham Forest. Comes in with a, a, a bullet header to give him the lead here against West Ham. And then uh, old man, old man William, the king of the left wing, um, scores again, man. He's, he's, been, he's been like exactly the kind of, you know, veteran professional they've needed who could do a job for you um you know he was he was like weren't sure what you were going to get out, get out of him at like 34 years old last year and he was super solid and they brought him back this year and he's been that again now he can't play every day as a starter because he's again like 34 years old um but but he but he's such a pro um he still scores goals for you uh and then Adebayo uh to, goes makes it 3-0 right before halftime and at that point it was academic uh, Harry Wilson with a beautiful goal to make it four, and then Carlos Vinicius a tap in uh, to complete the route. Five nil. Fulham is up to tenth, uh, moving past that tiny club in West London. Uh, Chelsea. 
So they're ahead of Chelsea in the in the table. <laughs> I, I really kid, thought I you kid, were going to say kid. Brentford for a second. I was like, man, really? No, no, no. The tiny, like the tiny club harsh. in West London is, of course, Chelsea. Um, just anything, guys. Spurs, um, uh, a big win over Jekyll and Hyde, Newcastle, uh, 4-1. Spurs, it seems like we were like, ah, they're going to fall off the cliff. Ange ball is, is finally hit a wall, and then all of a sudden they rally for a 4-1 win. I mean, like for for the context of their story, awesome. Like they needed to have this bounce back, especially how um, post the November international window is gone where they lose to Villa at home despite taking the lead. Then you have that wild 3-3 against City to then only have, frankly, kind of a dud of a performance against West Ham in the, the midweek. I've got to say this, though, Romero, like someone's got to have a talk with the lad um, <laughs> because he was this close to getting sent off again this week. I know they gave him the armband at times and like having him have a leadership role, but you can't get keep getting sent off after you just come off of suspension after suspension. Like this team needs him on the field because we've seen him without. And I say this with the greatest respect to a, someone that's played in major competitions and Eric Dyer, but Romero Dyer, big gap between the two. Um, <laughs> please stay on the field just for your own club sake. But yeah, Richarlison getting himself a couple of goals seemed like maybe he might have turned the switch just a little bit and Newcastle have set themselves up. I mean, we'll talk about it in a second with um, their champions league match coming up. I mean, this week could truly set the course of what the next 18 months for the club will, will look like, because if it goes wrong uh, in, well, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, if it goes wrong, then um, I could see a massive fire sale coming massive fire sale. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they, it's, it's been rough for Newcastle. I mean, they just look exhausted. They don't really have any, I mean, they could bring some guys in. I mean, I don't mean transfer market. I mean, they can, you know, rotate the squad more, but there's really not a whole lot to rotate. It's all really like youth academy players. And I mean, dressing multiple goalies, like they, they just don't really have a lot of, they've had so many guys injured. And and I know the Tenali one was a, it's a tough miss for them. I mean, Trippier, the last, the last two matches for Trippier have just been brutal. I mean, he's looked really bad. He's looked tired, sluggish, like, I mean, he's one of the best right backs in the world, and and he just, you know, Son had him on skates uh, uh, for a lot of the the time on Sunday. And by the way, and for Spurs, he had Son playing that left wing with Richarlison healthy. You know, Son as a striker is good. Like, he's a good striker. He could, he could do anything, right? He's just a great football player. But him as a left wing is just extra special, the, uh, the angles he takes and the passes he makes. So, I mean, if, if they're at the best, they, they want him on the left wing probably uh, – with, with the healthy with Charleston up top. Um, you know, I, I think this was definitely like the c- case of, I don't think either of these teams are true contenders. I kind of said that early in the show. I think it's, you know, the four that are top four right now. So I don't think this makes Spurs like a, a contender again. Um, I just think it is one that neither team probably really wanted to drop the three points and boy, did Newcastle <laughs> drop three points and did so in a big way. Yeah, and now Newcastle. It's a good segue into our our Champions League preview. The the final match day coming up on Tuesday and, and Wednesday in the Champions League, uh, in Newcastle. Uh, JJ kind of kind of foreshadowed it. A massive home game against AC Milan. Both teams have to win in Group F, and then they both need to get some help 
from Dortmund. Dortmund has already clinched its spot uh, into the, the knockout round. They'll have PSG at the um, at the Westfalen Stadion uh, in, in Dortmund. Um, but boy, uh, uh, I, I don't know. Like, what a what a way what a way for this group to this group to end really the way um you, you know i guess you would want the the, the so called group of death um to to go out right three teams battling out for for one spot what kind of dortmund team is going to go out there what's dortmund going to want to do against psg i, I assume dortmund is is going to want to go out at home and try and take it to to psg they're not going to i don't think dortmund's going to roll over and be sure psg we're going to let you go into the the next round, and then really that let Milan Newcastle game. That's also keep in mind the that Milan's got to win that game to not fall out of European competition altogether. Newcastle can at least get to the Europa League with a draw. Well, I mean, let's start first with you talk about Dortmund. What type of team they're going to put out? They just lost at home to Leipzig on the weekend um, to allow Leipzig to gain a bit of ground in the Bundesliga. Dortmund's now sitting fifth four points off uh what would be i think the last champions league spot i'm not quite sure if i remember correctly if that's a qualification spot or if that's directly in either way i mean they are 11 points off the lead right now so really if you're dortmund you are focusing on this competition and i believe if i have this right if they lose to psg psg jumps them on the head-to-head um yes. so that that changes things for them because if you're the not seeded team, like, you know, who knows where you're going to be going to next. So if I'm Dortmund, I'm playing to get a result in front of your fans and the classic case of handle your own business. And yeah, then all of a sudden Newcastle and Milan, you're, you're thanking your lucky stars that you have a pissed off Dortmund team that's playing um, at their home ground. I mean, the, as you're right, group F has come to be uh, exactly what we all wanted it to be. I apologize, by the way, I said Tuesday. It's actually Wednesday when the, those matches are being played, as that's the highlighted one. But, um, yeah, <laughs> this is uh, – Stu, I mean, this is one of – I was trying to do all this, and outside of, I think, two groups, we have something to play for in just about everything. Yeah, it's really exciting. I I know they're going to be home. I, I think Newcastle drops out of this altogether. Um. I think I, th- I think Newcastle is going to be without any type of European football in January, which is crazy to, to think. I mean, obviously you're in a, a group that's that, 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 that difficult, but I mean, I think Milan's is better. I just don't I just don't like the way Newcastle's playing. They don't have I mean, they don't Pope anymore. It's just they're just so banged up. It's just it's just pretty much such a mess. And yeah, I don't think Dortmund's gonna I don't think Dortmund's gonna take a back seat here. I think I think Dortmund's gonna try to at least get the point. Um, you know, to avoid finishing second in the group, they're going to want to try to win this group. Um, and if they do, that's a great thing for them because they, they've struggled. Like you mentioned, JJ, they didn't look good against Leipzig. They got a red card pretty early in that match. Um, and just like you said, they're, you know, on the outside looking in right now in, in that Bundesliga. And it's it's a better Bundesliga this year, especially when you consider, um, you know, Leverkusen right there and Bayern's going to be right there with Leverkusen. So, uh, Bayern Munich's gonna be right there with Leverkusen, so yeah, it's it's gonna be tough. I, I'm I'm gonna anticipate that they're gonna come in uh, Dortmund, that is with a uh, with the vengeance, and they're gonna want to win at home against PSG. Yeah, Milan is hoping to get uh, Rafa Leal back. He's been out injured. Uh, goals have been hard to come by in the Champions League for Milan. It hasn't been for a lack of 
uh, chance creation. Uh, it's been a, a lack of final product inside the box. They haven't been able to to finish chances. And, you know, you just wonder if Milan will look back in that opening Champions League game against Newcastle at the San Siro where uh, I, I, Milan have like 23 shots and wasn't able to convert anything. You end up in a nil-nil draw. Those, those, those results, it gets away from you, right? You drop two points at home, and, and now you're in a pretty desperate desperate spot. They've got to go to St. James Park and, and, and win. I, I do think Newcastle will be fired up for it. The fans, obviously, on a European night, it's going to be a rocking atmosphere. Might be a little a little nervy, and you wonder if a goal goes in against Newcastle um, early in that game, and all of a sudden they're behind. And the, the way they've kind of been been playing lately in the league, um, if, if that kind of turns on them, uh, a, a little bit, but look, if Newcastle gets off to a good start, it can really get that crowd into them. Uh, I, I think they got a chance to go on and win that game, and if, and, and you handle your business at home, and then you just hope that other result goes your way. Uh, but again, it's, it's fascinating. It's everything we want to see. Um, I I do want to kind of hit on on Group A here as well, where Manchester United is is in dire straits. Um, hopefully, we'll get our Manchester correspondent on uh, later this week after the game to kind of take the temperature of what's going on around the club. Um, you know, obviously, there's been a lot of has Ten Hag lost the dressing room. Um, let's see what kind of performance they get. The Old Trafford, they've got Bayern Munich coming in. Bayern's already secured the top spot. United's got to win, and then they've got to have Galatasaray and Copenhagen draw uh, in the Danish capital uh, in order to get through. It, it's it, it seems like a tall task for United to try and rescue this. I mean, we look back to what was it, eighteen nineteen when. United goes to PSG and it was deemed mission impossible to try to turn around that deficit and they somehow do so. This is mission impossible times about infinity right now. I mean, if they do there, there's always a case, of course, that they could do the job. I just frankly do not see any right that United will come in because even on and the Champions League, their form is actually shown the pure microcosm of their season where the last couple of matches away to Copenhagen, away to Galatasaray where they've played some lovely football for the first 30 minutes and then they'll just chuck away multi-goal leads as quickly as they gotten it so um Bayern who is a team that is literally playing for absolutely nothing as outside of pride I mean they did get absolutely hammered by Frankfurt on the weekend bad actually to be fair 5-1 against Frankfurt who are mid-table right now in the Bundesliga but there's nothing for them to play for outside of just wrecking, uh, wrecking up an even bad party over there, which I guarantee you, if you hand a club an opportunity to say, here, get just further a, a knife right into the heart of the coffin, anybody will happily take that without a second invitation. I think actually the Copenhagen Galatasaray match is so much more intriguing because you have a pure win and in scenario. And I believe, and Copenhagen will get through with a draw as the second team in that group again on the the head-to-head tiebreakers that we have going on so I don't know Galatasaray have had Jekyll and Hyde performances in this Champions League but they've the the Hyde versions have been brilliant so I, I don't know I think it's going to be much more of Everyone in that United dugout is going to be focusing more on their phones, watching what else is going on than actually what's happening in their own match. The one thing that I would say, the only thing I can see that would maybe play in uh, United's favor is that Bayern, Bayern does have Stuttgart on Sunday. Stuttgart's actually third in, in the Bundesliga table. That was the other team I was trying to think of uh, 
uh, before. So that's a big match for them coming off that disastrous defeat over the weekend, um, as you guys mentioned. So maybe in theory, they literally play 11 backups and there you go. There's maybe a, an opening for United to win that. But then obviously you need the draw as well. It's going to be tough. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be nearly impossible, but we've seen crazy things happen before in this lovely sport and this lovely competition. So yeah, the, like kind of what you guys said to the, you know, the Copenhagen match is going to be uh, the one that I'm kind of more intrigued by, even though obviously Byron and United are two of the bigger clubs in the world. Uh, but that's just kind of how this, this works this last uh, match day of, of these uh, European competitions. Yeah. And I also just want to mention also in the Europa league, uh, West Ham and Freiburg play uh, to, to win that group, Brighton and Marseille play to win that group. And just remember, in the Europa League, if you win your group, you avoid having to play that that playoff against the third place team from the Champions League. Um, so, super important games there as well for the two Premier League clubs. Uh, guys, anything else uh, in, in Europa League, Conference League, Champions League uh, that that sticks out for you? Oh yeah, there's. I mean, we only kind of touched the uh, the surface on the craziness that's going to be happening because on still on Tuesday you have Napoli and Braga in a win and in scenario. However, Braga has to win by two in order to advance with Real Madrid already through in that one. Yeah, Real Sociedad and Inter Milan um, win and in scenario. If Sociedad tied, they're the number one seed. Um, Atleti one Lazio two right now, but those two teams, I believe play each other. Yep, they do. So that that's a winning in to get yourself the number one seed. And I think for me, Kyle, I think one of the you and I solo shows that we did, we are all team Shakhtar Donetsk right now because they're playing Porto in a win and in scenario and kind of everyone's second favorite European team. That Stuart, I'm sorry if I kind of stepped on any toes on that one, but like there, that's the one I think everybody is real. I know everyone's going to be watching the group F, but really secretly, everyone's watching Shakhtar. Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. I, I, you know, I kind of hope they uh, they make it through as well. I think that'll be really fascinating to see them in that that round of sixteen. Um, and yeah, Atleti and and Lazio kind of playing for that number one, I think, is also interesting. I think Atleti can make some noise in this uh, competition. I'm not saying they could win it. I wouldn't necessarily put my money on, but where you kind of look at where they are compared to, you know, they're not one of the favorites. I, I just like the way they've played this year. I think they have a chance to do good things going forward in this competition, getting pretty far, maybe getting, maybe getting to the final four, uh, dare I say. And I also think they have a chance to, to win their league this year. I think they have a chance to win La Liga. Obviously that league's proven to be wide open. Barca's down. Real Madrid's had some issues. Uh, Gironia's, we'll see how long this lasts. I mean, they 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 beat Bayern. Uh, they beat uh, sorry Barcelona over the weekend. So that's a, obviously a really good start for them. I mean, we'll see how they they fare when they play the Madrid teams. But yeah, I, I do fancy Atletico Madrid, especially if they can get this one and you know play someone who finished second opposed to someone who finished first. Uh, once we get to the round of sixteen, uh, that, that's something I'm focusing on for sure. Uh, I think that's I think that's exactly what you you hope for when you um, do the you go into these European competitions. Final match day, everything on the line. Now we just got to figure out how we're going to watch all these games, right? We got to have like three three different streaming devices up so that um, we we can tu- we can tune into everything and try and follow along. It's um, you know when you when you talk about uh, these these midweek European nights, this is exactly what you want. 
Um, you, you know, and, and that's, um, that's a wrap for box to box football. We, we appreciate you spending these uh, last 45 minutes with us. Uh, we'll, we'll come back later this week. We'll look at match week 17 in the premier league. Uh, and we'll, we'll look back at the final match day in the champions league and the Europa league. And we'll see who's, who's falling at where and, and who might get drawn against who and, and all the intrigue that comes with that. Thanks for joining us. You know, guys know how to find us box to box football for Stu and JJ. I'm Kyle. We'll talk to you next time.